Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about the burden of leadership. Once again, executives were complaining about Sarah's group. A new line of products had been submitted to Sarah's development team, and the only thing that had come back was chaos. During our conversation about coaching Sarah, her boss said, I need her to get her group under control. When I asked him to tell me a little about her management style, he said, Sarah's a creative type, and that's why she's so great at her job, and, and we love her. But creative types don't always make the best managers, do they? When I asked him to elaborate, he said, Her brain has a million ideas shooting off all the time, and that's great for brainstorming. But that's what happens when she talks, too. She says all sorts of things that just aren't appropriate. He told me how, during a meeting with her peers about one employee's poor performance, she had said the company ought to, quote, just fire his sorry ass. That had riled enough people that HR had come to talk to her. Another time, she'd shared confidential information about the possible elimination of a project her team was involved in. Many hours of many meetings over many days were spent controlling the damage from that comment. Another time, in a public hallway, she had told a colleague that on an upcoming international trip, she was going to take her team to a particular karaoke bar and, quote, get them so wasted, we'll all probably miss our flight home. That comment had ripped through the division so fast, the legal department issued a memo about appropriate behavior during travel. Tentatively, I said, it sounds like Sarah's group creates a lot of chaos because Sarah creates a lot of chaos. Her boss sighed wearily and said, that's pretty accurate. Sarah's loose cannon comments were quite different from the aggressively self-sufficient behavior of Howard, the CFO at a construction engineering firm. His boss, the president and CEO, had several goals for Howard's coaching. One was to finally address the complaints from other departments that the entire accounting function worldwide was non-responsive. Talking about Howard, his boss said, Howard gets more done than almost anyone I know. He, he takes a ton off my plate without my ever asking, and I'm grateful for that. But he has to address these complaints about his groups. When I asked the CEO to tell me about Howard's management style, he told me two stories. The first was this. Although it was mandated that every employee give yearly performance reviews, Howard hadn't reviewed any of his direct reports since assuming his position eight years earlier, and the CEO had repeatedly pushed Howard on this topic with no effect. The second incident had become lore about Howard. I ended up hearing this story not only from the CEO, but from half a dozen other people, too. Years earlier, Howard's team planned a three-day global summit. Accounting heads from around the world would come together at a resort for workshops and breakout sessions. Howard threw his weight behind the summit, sending emails stating that attendance was not optional. If you were invited, you were expected to attend. And it wasn't just enough to show up. You were expected to participate through the final sessions on Friday afternoon. When the summit coordinator asked Howard if he wanted to make some closing remarks at the end of the day on Friday, Howard answered, no, I'm leaving that morning. 
My family's planning a get-together that weekend, and I don't want to miss it. Now, on the face of it, Sarah's uncensored comments don't appear to have much in common with Howard's stubborn self-sufficiency, but I had the same concern about both situations. In each case, one of the leader's strengths was having a negative impact on their group's culture. I brought this up to Howard in one of our conversations about his group's lack of responsiveness. He disagreed that his behavior was causing the situation. Look, he said, my people know I'll give them any resources they need to do their job, and then I expect them to do it. So if they have to be more responsive, I'll tell them to be more responsive, and they will be. I wasn't sure. I suspected that the people around Howard had adopted his belief that rules only applied to others. I told him I'd like to change the subject and tell him about a family I knew. Hesitantly, he said to go ahead. I told him that friends of mine, a divorced couple, were having trouble with their teenage daughter. The girl had gotten expelled from two private schools because of flagrantly disrespectful behavior. The mom, a high-powered entertainment lawyer, was outraged at her daughter's behavior. The mom complained long and loud to anyone who would listen that she, the mom, had always preached respect. She couldn't understand why her daughter hadn't gotten the message. The girl's dad, on the other hand, quietly admitted that he wasn't all that surprised about the situation. Speaking of his daughter, he said, Since she was a baby, she's been hearing her mom on the phone screaming at people and using dreadful language. Heck, her mom talks to me that way, and to the kids, too. So I'm not surprised she's doing what her mom does, not what her mom says. At the end of the story, Howard protested, But I'm not screaming at my people. It's not the same thing at all. But Howard, I said, it's like you're the parent and they're all your kids. You say... Everyone has to stay till Friday night, but you leave early. Or your boss tells you over and over to do the performance reviews, and what do you do? Nothing. They see that you don't follow the rules, so they think they don't have to either. Look, you can tell your people you want them to be responsive, but they see that you aren't. Frankly, I don't think they'll be responsive until they see you setting an example and playing by the same rules. When I talked with Sarah about her impact on her team, I used a different story. I told her about the night three friends and I went to a little sushi bar. We'd been there about half an hour when four other people walked in, one of whom was George Clooney. In an instant, the energy in the tiny restaurant completely changed. I was aware that we all became slightly self-conscious. We were in the presence of someone special. It so happened that one of my friends knew one of George Clooney's friends. There was table-hopping and laughter and loud calling out. Later, when the four of us were alone together, we replayed the night in a way that we probably wouldn't have had George Clooney not been there. I told Sarah, nothing profound got said in the restaurant that night, believe me, but what got said had been said by George Clooney or to George Clooney or in George Clooney's hearing. His presence made everything seem more important than it really was. And all of us have been around Hollywood for decades. When you talk, Sarah, it's the same thing. Your words carry weight like a celebrity's. 
you breathe different air from your direct reports and their direct reports. When you talk, you are there, George Clooney. She laughed at the comparison. Do you know something I noticed about George Clooney, I asked her. He seemed to know how much power he had, and he used it gently. That is not true of every celebrity or every executive. I went on to say that people naturally want to please celebrities and corporate executives. Consequently, they have the power to send people off on a wild goose chase with the smallest comment. A division president once told me how his overstuffed schedule caused him to regularly arrive late at other people's meetings. One day, he idly remarked how uncomfortable and intrusive his late arrivals felt. The unintended consequence of that remark was that people began to wait for him to arrive before they started their meetings. They didn't want to make him uncomfortable, right? But all that waiting had a significant negative impact on productivity. And, as is often the case with celebrities and executives, it was a long time before anyone told him what was happening. Corporate executives, like celebrities, often get shielded from unpleasant information. They can exist in a blissful bubble of unrealistically positive feedback. This cushioned existence can blind them to the fact that even their strengths can negatively impact their group. As a leader, you cast a long shadow. Many people seek your approval and your good opinion. So your behavior carries weight far beyond what you intend. Carrying this burden with humility and respect is essential if you're going to achieve the look and sound of leadership. If managing the perception of how you're perceived as a leader is something that interests you, five other episodes you might listen to are Act with Intention, Be Impeccable with Your Word, The Look and Sound of Self-Esteem, and Your Team's Best Interest, Parts 1 and 2. Each of those podcasts, and all our others, can be found on the Essential Communications website, EssentialCom.com. That's EssentialCom with two M's dot com. From our homepage, click the navigation button marked Coaching Tips. That'll take you to a free archive of over 100 podcasts. When you're there, you can search the archive by categories that interest you, and one of those categories is Leadership. There are more than 40 tips in that category to help you hone yourself as a leader. From the website, you can also download every tip as a PDF to save for yourself or to forward to others. Our podcasts are also available through iTunes. Just search for the look and sound of leadership. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.